didn't see you there. Something big is going on here. From hunting ghosts to Bigfoot. Paranormal, UFOs, true crime, and more. We won't just be spouting articles. I was researching for your entertainment. The beginning of a new world. <laughs> the best guac you'll ever fucking eat. True story. It's basically like one day you walk outside and you see that the ants are playing with matches. This, this is the Blackout Black Report. Report. See you on the other side. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 15 of the Black Cat Report, The Andreessen Affair, part two. This week, we're joined with our beautiful hosts, Joey. Ayo. And Betsabe. Hola. Selena, unfortunately, sounds a little bit too much like Kwasga this week. She's a little under the weather, uh, so she will be sitting this one out. <clears throat> now, when we last left off, Betty had just been teleported to another planet after, well, let's just say, experiencing a mixed series of emotions. Um, you know, that whole orgasm chair and the needles. And <laughs> she, she's been through a lot. She's been through a lot. But she's in a new land, and this is a new opportunity. Well, so she's in a new land, new opportunity. Now she's being taken on something that's almost like a, a tour of this new area that she found herself in. She's passing by buildings with weird space lemur monkeys that had no heads and little tendrils coming out with eyes at the end, scaring the hell out of her. And so the journey continues. Still, with the aliens floating in like a fall-the-leader type of line, they are hovering a few inches above the ground. The atmosphere, saturated with shades of red like infrared right infrared light is emitting from everything would soon change. As they proceeded along the track, they approached a strange circular membrane, and like each time before, passed through it with no resistance. From the deep reds and stucco buildings that seemed to have completely engulfed all of our view the, of the world previously, the air, the ground, the world shifted into green. Quote, It's beautiful here. Oh, it's so beautiful here, and we are still along the thing. And now that we are in the green atmosphere, they're taking off those black hoods. <clears throat> if you remember in the last episode, she woke up and like all of her alien friends had like black hoods on, so taking them off now. Yeah, that was so weird. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like, are we in a cult now? Um, <clears throat> well, they continued on their trek, floating over a narrow strip of land, Betty looking off to the side, sees a thick mist filling the air. It looks like a sea, and within it, weaving in and out strange birds that look like fish, are either flying or swimming through it. They call those furds. <laughs> oh, it's the furds. I wow. love these. <laughs> <laughs> the track they're on begins to bend upwards, and as it does, her view of the area expands. The sheer enormity of the world begins to overwhelm her. Plants, structures, oceans of mist, yet at no point could she see through the sky, just an endless expansion of green. While there was light, deep green light coming from everywhere, there was no source, no sun or moon casting or reflecting down rays. She begins to think that maybe they aren't on another planet, but inside of one. Now, this concept blew my mind for a little while after I read it. I mean, like, think about it. 
we have vast underground cave systems here, like on Earth. Rivers flowing through them, bioluminescent life producing light of its own in complete darkness. What if a planet, for whatever reason, had large, hollow areas inside of it where life began to bloom and evolve? Protected from an otherwise harsh external atmosphere, you know, the way the Earth's ozone protects us. Their first major phase... In a cave. What's that? So that, that is what she's saying, like she was inside like a cave? Uh, no, it's um, picture Earth, but with a large, um, and a large dome, like all the way around it, like completely encapsulating it. And like Earth is either floating in the middle of it, right? Or sitting on it. But there's just a massive something over the top of it. Right? Hmm. So again, like, you know, here we have like the ozone layer, which affects us from like bursts of radiation coming through the you know, the solar system, uh, somewhat from solar bursts or sunbursts and things like that. And it helps like burn up a lot of meteorites that would otherwise just be falling down on us like shotgun shots constantly, <laughs> right? Um, mm -hmm. Picture that, but like picture it being solid, right? Now, now step back a little mm -hmm. bit and then picture if life evolved in that situation. So, and, that, and that's what kind of like weirded me out because I was like, how would that affect culture? How would that affect... Um, what people dream of, what people aspire to of, you know, like what, what would that do for life if it evolved underneath some type of organic dome? And then this also kind of goes into the fact of like, well, if this was happening, us sitting here, you know, even with the, the new James Webb's telescope, which can see, you know, 13 billion years into the past and all this awesome stuff, we would just be measuring the atmosphere and the external reality of a planet we wouldn't be able yeah. to see inside of the planet and what's going on inside of the planet. So if there was life That's inside true. of the planet, there could be an entire civilization. That's true. Huh. I don't know. That shit blew my mind. <laughs> I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> like, there might... Reminds me of that... Go ahead, say. Reminds me of that movie with Mar on Mars with Arnold Schwarzenegger. I forgot what that one was called. It, wasn't it just called Mars? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> they're, they're living in those biodomes and they were just basically like underneath everything could never go outside. Think about they don't see the sun either, which is kind of crazy. It's like they don't, there's no sun. So how would that affect just being kind of in like not really darkness all the time, but yeah. not really getting vitamin D, I guess, from the sun or the sunlight on their skin. So yeah, maybe they're just all depressed all the time. Well, I mean, they would have to, I've I've done way too much more than I would care to admit. Like thinking about things like this, um, where was I? Yeah. So so like the biology, like we're so tied to um, to our our year, our circle around the sun, three hundred sixty five days, right? And like our cycles of um, when we plant food, when the food grows. Um, when we harvest it, when we have harsh seasons, good seasons, you know, like a good harvest, stuff like that. Um, all of that, and because all of the plants and everything is, is stuck in this cycle of 365 days, right? Um, if you were a little bit farther out or if you were a little bit closer, that timeline would completely change, 
You know, you could be a thousand years old and then come to Earth and by Earth years, you'd be like seven or something crazy, <laughs> you know, because yeah. you'd be twirling around your sun really fast. So a year would be a lot quicker. Um, that would also cause seasons to go faster. It would cause a lot of things to change. And that would also cause our biology to develop differently. Um, so, you know, if you didn't have sun, but you evolved to the point where you were a sentient, you know, intelligent thing, like... It, you would you would just not need vitamin D, or you would have a natural source for it that would come from something else. True, you know. But so you have like oh, I mean, oh sorry, Corey Hart I guess would fit over there wearing his sunglasses <laughs> at night all the time. Truth, <laughs> Corey Hart, come on our show. I don't know. He's a musician from like the eighties, I think, but he was famous for his song. I wear my sunglasses at night so I can so I don't remember the rest of the lyrics, but <laughs> um, I think it's like literally so I can remember. Um, but <laughs> but anyways, um, yeah. So so uh, to kind of like backtrack a little bit, um, or in some ways, so so how this would affect a culture? Their first major phase of like travel right that what they would dream of since you know they went out of their stone age since they went into their bronze age and they had their empires and da 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 and eventually they got off the ground as a species and you know experienced flight and then they continued to go their first major phase of travel would be breaking through or getting through the other side of their their planetary dome it wouldn't be mm. going through the atmosphere to the moon or orbiting around the earth like we did. It would just be getting on the other side of what the hell is that thing that's been above us since before anyone can remember. Yeah. Wow. And like that, I don't know. I, I, I guess I was just like, I really got deep into like the, the implications of that where I was just like, would that make them advance faster? Technologically speaking, like, would that mean that, you know, when they get on the other side, it's really easy for them to get back to like you know their their atmosphere what they're comfortable with on the inside because then you just have to go back through the hole or whatever so would this help would this hurt i don't know but it was just like damn shit would evolve a hundred percent like like they would have their little jfk be like we're gonna make it to the other side of the dome like you know they would be up there and like we're gonna find out what's out there <laughs> you motherfuckers saying shit's round we know it's flat um but like <laughs> you know i don't know but uh it was a trip it was a trip and i would i just i guess i just never thought about that um but anyways uh back to betty um back to before you know there was that planet that would act as a large egg and uh basically a large space age and uh species would be incubated in it um I am curious, yeah, Ari. Yeah, yeah. I am curious about how would Betty even know this? How would how does she even consider or think about this? Like, what does she see that make her think like, oh, we're inside the planet, not on it? I th she was a sophisticated woman. <laughs> Betty don't take no shit. Um, but uh, <laughs> but no, she. They they did grill her on that at one point in the book where they you know during hypnosis and during the debriefings and everything they're like, what do you think? Da 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 da. And they even went so far as to like ask her like, do you think you're still like you're inside of Earth? Right. That was like one of the things that they brought up. 
And she's like, no, there's like no way from from her experiences and from the sensations she felt and stuff like that. She's like, there's no way I was in Earth. Um, but it, it was the absence of any um, any point of light, any reference of light, like the sun or like the moon, you know, radiating down. And just this like seemingly like endless expanse of like this green that was around her, just an open sky that was around her and nothing past that. That made her feel like she was inside of something while she was there. Um, so it was partially just a sensation, but also like, and uh, you know, <laughs> I know totally went down a rabbit trail, but like it, it was partially just a sensation that kind of like led to her feeling that way. But I was like, well, shit, that actually, that as a theory, if that does exist, kind of lends itself to like, life might be way the hell closer to us than we think if it develops underground. And then at that point, it's like, oh, actually, like we have plenty of examples of life developing and evolving and growing underground and producing light chemically all around us, you know, like go down to deep Mm -hmm. sea stuff and you have those crazy angler fish that are you know, producing light right now, like thousands of feet down into the ocean in complete darkness, you know, and like, yeah. So I don't know. It was, uh, you know, with enough time that could evolve, right? So, what? What's that? Uh, no, I was just telling Joey that we evolve with little light. Oh. <laughs> We just can't see them anymore because of fluoride. Um, but <laughs> I'm kidding. I don't believe in the fluoride conspiracy. Well, well, that's what they were looking for. The aliens were looking for the little lights. They were like, you don't have enough light. Oh, my God. That actually does. You're missing light. <gasps> that. Thank you, Joey. That actually does explain their obsession and like their their cultural phrasing around like not having light and light and everything relating to light and everything relating to fire. Oh shit! Damn. <laughs> okay, that my my theory's starting to pick up steam here. Like this tracks. This tracks real hard. I'm I'm a little too yeah. I'm a little too excited. I'm gonna write an essay about this and publish this where nobody can find it. Um. <clears throat> so, so anyways, uh, Betty's moving along, right? Um, and they continue moving upwards on this basically like this invisible escalator where they're just kind of hovering a few inches above it. Right, and they're still in their weird little conga line. Um, it's still so weird that they are friggin' on an escalator, and they're hovering. Yeah, I'm just like, man, this, this. I just, I still don't. I don't keep going. They, Sorry, I, I they, just don't. I, I don't they know. got into it at one point, and like, get like four or five UFO nerds into a room and have them start asking somebody questions about alien technology, and you will get 25 pages of a book that are better than Ambien, okay? Like, I fell asleep so many times trying to read that, <laughs> that shit. And when I did manage to stay awake, I was hallucinating. So, <laughs> well, they're moving on this invisible escalator track thing, right? And it starts to bend upwards. So it's going off of this small track of ground that they were on, and it's going up into the sky, right? And Betty, you know, is seeing everything, and she's starting to go up and up and up. And she's starting to become like completely just just overwhelmed by how huge everything is. You know, it's like picture the 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 promo trailer for Planet Earth. It's like that, right? Um, <clears throat> well, anyways, 
on their way up, they only got interrupted interrupted once. They slowly, slowly, slowly just, and I emphasized because the book emphasized, slowly slowed down to the point she almost couldn't tell that they stopped. And then a large white thing, which Betty couldn't find the words to explain, passed by them. That was it. Then it was just one thing that got pointed out, <laughs> and they grilled her about that. They're like, "What did it look like? What was this?" And she's like, "I, I don't, I can't explain it." And we're like, "How big was it? I don't know." And I was like, "All right, Betty, whatever." Um, well, <laughs> well, it was at this point when they stopped that Betty looks down and she sees a massive pyramid. And I have a feeling Betsy Bay's gonna love this. <laughs> she looks down as they're floating above this this alien planet and sees a massive pyramid with a slanted. What? It's slanted at an angle with one side of it cut out. So picture a pyramid, but then for one of the large flat sides, you cut in a triangle shape if you're, you know, standing straight up above it and looking down. So it almost looks like the two feet of a star, like a star shape at one corner of it. it it's like a, a, yeah, it's like a pyramid with a pyramid cut out of it at an angle. I don't know. It, it's very hard to explain. The wording in the book didn't help. And honestly, the the drawings of it didn't actually help either. But um, ooh, <clears throat> if a pyramid was a pizza, <laughs> and you took a slice <laughs> out of one of the sides, that's kind of how it looks. And the two inside, the the slices that go deepest out of the where the pizza got removed, um, are bleach white, and they're like emitting light, right? Now, hmm. well, the pyramid was a brownish color. Um, with the area that was cut into it um, completely white. Resting at the top was a head. Quote, it looked sort of like an Egyptian head. And it had like, you know, how they wear those hats. It was just like a regular head. It wasn't fat like the Sphinx. The Sphinx, the Sphinx, that head is big. That's fat. Um, This one, this one though, wasn't fat. But it did have 11 cheeks. And it looks sort of feminine, but also kind of like a male. End quote. Mm -hmm. I don't know what that means. (laughs) I don't know how a face has 11 cheeks. Um, But apparently, giant Egyptian-style head was sitting at the top of the pyramid that she was slowly getting ready to be um, flying or gliding over top of. So it was like, it was an alien, but not an alien, but Egyptian, but cheeked it was very cheeky and <laughs> it just I, I don't know like that that just doesn't really describe anything like <clears throat> she was confident in that example or in that uh explanation that it was exactly like that and it had 11 cheeks i please somebody write us uh contact at blackcat.report um what does I don't know what eleven the beast with eleven cheeks I don't know but um, that's gonna be our next episode hell yeah it will so <laughs> nobody's ever heard the beast with two backs nobody that expression mm-hmm. uh, it's it's uh it's another euphemism for making whoopee um anyways moving further along this track they are approaching an ever more intense light resting inside of what looks like crystals filled with rainbows. Again, they pass through, and now Betty is positioned directly in front of the light. So she's just moving on track straight towards this light, right? After passing through all this weird rainbow crystal world. From the light, she begins to make out a massive bird, an eagle, with the light glowing intensely behind it. 
As they continue towards it, the air starts to become overwhelmingly hot. Betty begins to panic. It feels like she's starting to boil. They stop at its feet. The eagle, so large that its body is blocking the light shining from behind it. Through the agony of the burning, she realizes the air is filled with floating golden specks, just ever so delicately flying all around her. The heat intensifies, and she begins writhing in pain. But then everything begins to cool. The pain begins to subside, and slowly, she opens her eyes. She sees a small fire in front of her, gradually burning out and fading into uh, a red glow. It's just embers now, and a pile of gray ash. Whereas before she felt as she was entering into the fires of hell, now the air is becoming freezing, and her body is literally starting to cramp up. Yet, somehow, at the same time, she starts to become aware. There's a sweet smell that begins to fill the air around her. Looking down into the small pile of gray ash, just near the ember, she notices something. Something's there. Her eyes begin to focus, and she sees that it's a fat gray worm resting in the middle. An explosion of voices, all saying the same thing like a choir all around her. You have seen, and you have heard. Do you understand? No! I don't understand! What is this all about? Why am I even here? I have chosen you. For what have you chosen me? I have chosen you to show the world. Are you God? Are you the Lord God? I shall show you as time goes by. Are you my Lord Jesus? I would recognize my Lord Jesus. I love you. God is love, and I love you. This is that idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> Why? Why was I brought here? Because I have chosen you. Why won't you tell me why and what for? The time is not yet. It shall come. That which you have faith in, that which you trust. It is true. I have faith in God, and I have faith in Jesus Christ. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. There is nothing that can harm me. There is nothing that can make me fear. I have faith in Jesus Christ. We know, child. We know. Oh, God, do we know. <laughs> that is why you have been chosen. I am sending you back now. Fear not. Be comfort. Your own fear makes you feel these things. I would never harm you. It is your fear that you draw to your body that causes you to feel these things. 
I can release you, but you must release yourself of that fear through my son. Oh, praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. I know. I know I'm not worthy. Thank you for your son. <laughs> Thank you for your son. <laughs> she begins crying hysterically, nearly to the point of having convulsions during the hypnosis session. And while oh in the God. office, the same as countless times before, researchers, the hypnotist, and other people sat on and they watched. This time it was different. This time, the visible grasp of reliving the moment seemed to, to transcend her, her recounting of the events. Her tears were out of gratitude. They were out of joy, out of happiness. She was having a deeply religious experience, the likes of which, in a nearly contagious manner, lifted the onlookers, leaving them questioning their own beliefs as they were fighting back tears. So I, I can't, I, there were pages dedicated to this. All these people were giving their perspectives. When Betty went through this moment in hypnosis, her, if she's lying, her act, if she's telling the truth, her, her rendition, whatever, um, all these people who have been watching this, following this narrative, taking notes, you know, the first people hearing this stuff, you know, Betty's, it's the first time she's hearing this stuff, right? And that she's remembering it. Um, it was so intense, her emotions in that room that like people were setting their stuff down they were being brought to tears like they were like literally getting ready to tell the hypnotist to like bring her out of it because it got like so fucking intense like uh, some of the folks in there who were like atheists were like i almost started believing in god after this like that was like just straight emmy grammy whatever the fuck <laughs> you know like like her the way her body was reacting with her eyes closed was so intense it freaked everybody out like i don't know mic drop you know wow. <clears throat> I, I would say that she definitely had a religious experience after her experience with the the chair <laughs> that's a different type of gospel um so <laughs> <clears throat> but i'm so confused because this voice thingy didn't even answer her questions i mean in all fairness I feel like most of the things she's talked to during all of this haven't answered her questions. <laughs> um, I want her to, to do it, and she's like, why? Yeah. And they're like, just do it. God, Betty, get out of here. <laughs> they, yeah, this is, like, so frustrating because, like, she just spent all this time over there, and, like, we don't even know why. She doesn't even know why. Like, what happened, you know? Well, she would go on later when she was kind of asked to elaborate about the experience. Um, well, looking back at it later, uh, she eventually goes on to elaborate that the, that their experience, that her experience in all of this, um, it was an initiation into something. Right. And she, she's not, what is this something? She, she doesn't really know what it was, but it, she, she felt like it was a, it was a process. It was an initiation, which kind of matches with the whole, like, follow me, come over here, do this. Like they were like volunteering her to do things the whole time. And she was kind of being swept up and taken along the whole time. 
in all of this, but there was a very specific process and she was supposed to kind of be uh, conscious for the whole situation, for the, for the whole scenario. And it seems like she just had to go through it, you know, and it, it's, this becomes difficult to, to kind of separate from, again, her fundamentalist Christian beliefs, like how much of all of this is she um, projecting her views her, her values, her religion and stuff like that onto the symbolism, onto the situations. I mean, like, literally, when aliens came in through her front door, she started to make them food. She thought they were angels, <laughs> you know? So, like, yeah. after she leaves Earth, when she's on a completely alien planet, like, wh what does that mean? Like, how do we interpret that at that point, right? She's way gone, you know? Well, <clears throat> she goes on to say eventually that she didn't see the bird or the worm as God. She actually perceived the light that was coming out from behind the bird. That was God. Specifically, the radiation from the light behind it was God. And to do a quick backtrack and a little side note, um, first, if you recall from the first episode, when the beings first appeared in Betty's house, on their uniforms, there was a small patch on their arm. And that patch had the symbol of a bird on it. And second, did anybody pick up what that bird was? Does anybody know about any birds that turn into a worm? <clears throat> a butterfly. A phoenix. The, the actual traditional, um, the, the story or whatever behind like in Egypt and in a bunch of other cultures behind uh, a phoenix is, um, well, when they, they live for about 500 years, that's generally agreed upon, and then the bird goes around and it starts to pick up these things that are called uh, spice twigs, and it makes its own uh, funeral pyres, the, the, basically it's its own kindling, right? And it surrounds itself with these spice twigs. And when it dies, it gets engulfed in flames, right? And then from the ashes, it crawls out as a worm. That huh. worm then changes into a bird and becomes a phoenix. And it, the cycle repeats over and over and over and over again. Now, this all fits. Even the, the spice twigs, they're called spice twigs because you throw them into a fire and they they fill the air with like a sweet smelling smoke. Right. So yeah. she opened her eyes and everything became cold and da 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 da. The air was filled with a sweet smoke, a sweet smell. And then a fucking worm crawled out of it. And in some sense, um, looking at, at her story, this almost sounds and it, it kind of fits with the whole initiation things because she kind of died and got reborn in the exact symbolism as, as a phoenix, right? She, she mm. felt like she was literally burning alive, <laughs> you know, and then came back up out of the cold and heard the voice of God, right? I don't know. Wow. It's intense. It's fucking intense. But the symbolism for sure isn't <laughs> super intense. Yeah. Just literally <laughs> talking to radioactive space bird Jesus. <laughs> like, but... Yeah, in with like earthly kind of like metaphors in it. It's a trip. I I think you found a new cult. I think I did. 
<laughs> wow. I mean, I like, okay, this, like, even if this wasn't true, like, I, she lived this, you know, like, she actually lived this, even if it's like mentally or physically, whatever, you know? Like, this cannot be her just making shit up, you know? That, I'm I'm glad you brought that up, because um, I had thought about this, and I almost included it in my notes, but after reading through all this, Betty actually sounds like one of the most um, grounded in reality people that I've ever read about or known or whatever. If she completely imagined all of this, how would she function in reality if her mind was constantly dipping into these types of narratives and these types of situations and stuff like that? Like people around her would notice that they would not. And again, extensive character checks, background checks, like, you know, questioning family, church members, everybody around her. Um, she would not be able to function on a regular basis if her mind was mixing this with what's real constantly. Right. Yeah. And then second, if she was an incredible, just a damn good liar, you know, if she saved every lie in her life for this moment, right. Um, <laughs> uh, that there's no way that the, the level of dedication and the, the expertise that you that you would need as a liar to somebody to just completely fabricate this whole story, um, that she would just be able to have it overnight, right? Again, and this would transfer into how people viewed her, what she was like, how she talked about other things around her. But this this just happens. Like this just happens all of a sudden, and it's a story and it's a narrative. And they spent a year just grilling her on every fucking detail imaginable over and over again and trying like i mean you know reading through here it's it's so much dialogue between like the the researchers and the hypnotist and all these other people and they're all just like could you tell me about what happened at first again like you know she's she's in the middle of talking about the bird and they're like now how did they come through the door in your house you know and they're recording all of this and they're just trying to catch her slipping up and she's not so if she was a complete sociopath, you know, um, again, I think that there would be proof in her life of sociopathic tendencies. People would be like, yeah, yeah, she fibs sometimes if she's a good person or something. But no, this is ju it's just this one thing, right? And again, this experience is way more detailed and way longer than what drugs can provide you with <laughs> in terms of psychedelics. Yeah. This is way too much, like, I've had my fair share yeah. of experiences with psychedelics. I don't mind saying that. Um, I love them. Uh, not really for me anymore at this point in my life, but done a ton back in the day. Um, wish I could have had a narrative like this coming out. <laughs> like, nope. Mostly just turns your bookshelf into a giant iPod that you're just looking at. You know? Thank you for listening to the Black Cat Report in our second part of the Andreessen Affair. I wonder what hijinks Betty will get into this episode. You can follow our hijinks on our Instagram at black underscore cat underscore report. Also, don't forget to like, review, and subscribe on wherever you get your podcasts. Now let's get back to Betty. After speaking with the bird or God or whatever it was, 
The aliens and Betty made their way back down the track, back to the same room with the same chairs. But this time, Betty would be placed in a different chair. This time, when the process started, after getting situated, she began to feel held down. Her hands, legs, and feet became extremely heavy. One of the beings approached her, reached over to the edge of the chair, and pressed a button. (laughs) Betty was electrocuted. During hypnosis, it would be noted her body began flailing around on the chair while she was crying in agony. Luckily, though, this didn't last long. But God said that he would never hurt her. <laughs> but she had to get she had to work on herself first, and then she couldn't get hurt. <laughs> um, but luckily, this didn't last long. She found herself floating, being moved over to a different chair, and once seated. A form-fitting, clear shell dropped down over the chair, and, the same as the first time, tubes came in and went down her throat and in her nose. A weird, transparent gray liquid began to fill the inside, and Betty was founding herself in a whirlpool of pleasure. That's right, she had been moved from the electric chair to the pleasure chair. Gotta know pain to have pleasure. (laughs) And this time, right after, a tablespoon of syrup slipped through the tube and into her mouth. What? Okay. Oh, they gave me some more of that. Um, syrup. Mmm. It tastes good and wakes me up like very sweet. I can still taste that taste feels good and smooth it's sweet like like syrup but doesn't make me feel sick because usually syrups make me feel sick and I have too thick a syrup on pancakes or something like that you know it makes me feel sick shut up Betty <laughs> I'm, I'm quoting directly from the book um, so in the middle of her swirl her whirlpool of pleasure She was jolted back to reality, and I'm still quoting here, by a persistent tapping sound. Dink, dink, dink. They're tapping on that glass thing for some reason. And they're saying, Betty, are you comfortable? Yes, I like it in here. (laughs) They said they're going to let me stay for a few more moments. Oh, it feels good. feels so good. (laughs) (laughs) So this moment stands out a little bit um, when the being asked if she's comfortable, right? So it's one of the few times that they showed an emotional concern for her out of all of this, out of this whole experience. They, they've actually started to kind of like learn about Betty and realize that like, wow, she really likes that chair. You know, like they started, they realize that and they go over there and they kind of like wake her up, right? And they're like, hey, you, you good in there? Like, and she's like, oh, I'm great. And he's like, oh, okay, we'll let you stay for a little bit long. Oh, yes. <laughs> you know, like, it, <laughs> but this is kind of, you know, there's only been a couple instances or instances where they actually like, you know, ask her how she feels. <laughs> Respond to her questions, yeah. right? Like, most yeah, of- I feel like, I mean, honestly, they haven't done that. Like, they're just been like, hey, go there, do this, yeah. you know, like, 
Like, they haven't really talked to her or anything. Mm-mm. It's just been like, it's just been like the same questions over and over and over again, regardless of what she's asking them or responding when she's like, will you follow us? She's like, where am I going? Will you follow? Like, they just keep doing that over and over. This is like kind of the first time that they actually were like, oh, <laughs> you know, she has feelings, <laughs> you know? Um, well, well, after the pleasure chair drained, Betty, who was in an absolute state of bliss, found herself again being lifted, floating in the air, and then again sat in another chair. <laughs> this time, when the enclosure dropped around her, a device came down, and a strange pink, red, and orange light started swirling around her. She felt warm, comfortable even. This disco chair experience kept going for quite some time before finally the enclosure lifted. She was swept up and put in line again, moving through what she assumes to be the same ship as when she first left from her backyard. They floated down a long tube and arrived in a room. A door appears. It flashes open, and it's Quasga, standing there, (laughs) standing there in in a beautiful silver suit. He approaches her and places his hands on her shoulders. One of his eyes glowed white. It was tiny. And the other one was the typical, normal, large, black alien eyeball. Regardless, he starts speaking in her mind. He says he's going to start giving me formulas. And he says, until man finds those and understands those, he will not give any others. He says, my race won't believe me until much time has passed our time. They love the human race. They have come to help the human race, and unless man will accept, he will not be saved. He will not live. All things have been planned. Love is the greatest of all. I do not want to hurt anybody, but because of great love, they said, because of great love, they cannot let man continue in the footsteps that he is going. It is better to lose some than to lose all. They have technology that man could use. It is through the spirit, but man will not search out that portion. He goes on. Man must understand many of the natural things on earth. If man will just study nature itself, he will find many of the answers that he seeks. Within fire are many answers, within ashes, within the height of the high and the lowest of the low, there are many answers. Man will find them through spirit. Man is not made of just flesh and blood. It would be easy to hand them to us, but that would show that we are not worthy to receive those. The knowledge is sought out through the spirit, and those that are worthy are given. Those that are pure of heart, that seek 
the earnestness will be given. Energy is round about man, and he doesn't know of it. It is the simplest form of energy. It is within the atmosphere. This atmosphere. It has all been provided for him. Many riddles will be given. Those that are wise will understand. Those that seek will find. They must remain hidden in this way because of the corruption, the corruption that is upon earth. If they are revealed outright, man would use it. He keeps telling me of different things, of what is going to take place, of what is going to happen. They're going to come to earth. Man is, is going to fear because of it. Many are going to be astonished, yet many are, are not going... They're going to be afraid because they have to overcome fear. So when are they coming? No one knows. <laughs> no. So is she, like, talking about the second coming of Jesus? <laughs> I have literally no clue how this is mixing with her beliefs at this point. <laughs> But I did wonder that, too. Um, I mean, you think people do make the argument that uh, that some that aliens are actually angels and that could also be demons, too. So I think that maybe that kind of mixes in her mind. Like, that's what she was thinking is that they were either demons. That's why she thought at the beginning. They're like, are you demons? Are you angels? Yeah. And so it's like in in some parts of it, people do believe that they are you know because they have a superior higher intelligence maybe they're looking at something through different dimensions so it's like that they could be higher than higher beings than we are yeah yeah i mean i'm just like why can't they just like speak forward you know like they're talking all weird and like just like tell me how it is you know like it's like they're walking around the whole thing and it's just like okay can you just like tell me directly exactly what you're saying like, when are you coming? What time? What should I wear? You know, like, all the details. That, um, that does kind of almost match with what Joey just said. I don't know if you intended to do that. <laughs> so um, if this is how they speak, maybe that's why all of our religious books are written in riddles. <laughs> Boom. Uh, yeah. I would say that if somebody... <laughs> Another revelation would brought to if... you by Black Cat Report. <laughs> I would say if we look back at all the cults over the histories of that, like actual cults where they kill, you know, deathly cults where they actually kill people. I mean, Christianity and Catholicism did a lot of murdering themselves, yeah. but we're, you know, like the, the newer age cults, mm -hmm. like they, they give you factual answers and try Well, not factual, but they try to actually give you answers and tell you that. So maybe if you're getting answers, you probably should look somewhere else because it seems like you're not getting actual answers. <laughs> You, nobody really because nobody really knows like you know she even even the what she's saying she still doesn't know and it you know because she's never saying like hey they're coming this year she's just like this is just what they told me and i that also does not to get like too deep in the weeds but that also that makes sense with like answers only work for very specific situations right it's one plus one equals two right but very mm -hmm. quickly you learn that except this and besides that and sometimes it's this and that and as more things stack up as the situation gets larger um a clear answer is not the correct answer right 
Um, and so if it's a species talking to a human, right, with limited influence, both of them, um, on the situation, the best answer wouldn't be clear. And, and that's all there is to it, is because you would have to find the words to fit your concern that apply to everything that's happening. You, like, for Betty, um, especially in the late 60s, you know, it's the Cold War. <laughs> like, the Cold yeah. War is taking place. This planet might destroy yeah. itself with nuclear weapons, right? Um, Vietnam is going very strong <laughs> at this point in time, mm -hmm. right? Um, I think Manson's still active, you know? Like, she's catching shit on the news about, like, serial killings happening out in Hollywood and stuff oh, like yeah. that. Like, yep. there, there's so many things just with, honestly, even just within her own limited scope of the world that's just through the english speaking audience at that point in time there's there's so many sensations so many sensational things that are happening around here yep. how do you provide a few sentences that answer her questions in that way and then at the same time even when she asks a, a basic one the reason why you brought her there is so complicated and there's so many other things going on that it's just like how do you narrow it down to a simple response so I don't know, yeah. but I feel like Joey, um, the what you brought up around like them, uh, angels and demons being aliens, and then Betsy, what what you brought up around like the frustration with never getting a straight answer, basically just explain the Bible. So I, <laughs> I got out a lot. I got a lot out a lot out of that. Yeah, can't talk. Um, well, I mean, they did just literally read the Bible too. So like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. that's the funny part they just were just like well i guess this is and it could have been to where like they what they're i don't know if i'm going ahead here but what they're explaining is to explain to her in their own ideas of how they thought the human race learned because if that's the only book that they've actually read from the human race they're gonna be like well this is how they answer questions yeah. is they don't answer questions. And this is how they can understand of someone that's trying to help them as God or as, you know, and, that and necessarily in their, in their language or their, like you talk about how their culture could be changed in, in a different of, of being surrounded by like a, a ball around their planet, basically living in the planet mm -hmm. that their idea of how we lived is completely different from how they live. So the only reference that they have from this are our culture and our society and the people is that we have the Bible mm -hmm. and the Bible is literally full of just short stories yeah. or just stories about all these people. And uh, like, I mean, if they read it in five, se five seconds, there's contradictions, there's lots of questions, there's <laughs> lots of things. And that God in the general sense, if they read the New Testament, if that's the one she gave them, which I think she did, Probably King is James. that God is there to, yeah, yeah. Is, is, there to, is there to help, and that Jesus is like, uh, Jesus and God are there to help mm -hmm. and not to murder, you know, like to, to like, so they're thinking, the thinking of God is that they are God because they're coming in to help, instead of them being, in quotations, actual God, is yeah. the way to think about it, you know, that, that she's perceiving them to be. Yeah. Yeah, and that um, again, dude, you you tied that back perfectly to uh, my whole theory around like basically them being advanced mole people, right? Um, so like living in this in this biosphere kind of thing with this hard crust on the outside. Um, you brought up like when they asked, and she gave them the Bible, and they were like, "We want knowledge, knowledge tried by fire." 
how would their language and their culture uh, be influenced if they grew up in basically a dark world? Yep. Fire, it, where earlier in, in the human species, it's you know often assumed everybody pretty much worshipped the sun because the sun brought yep. light. Mm-hmm. So if you were brought up into a world where there was darkness, you would worship fire. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It also it tracks. God damn it. <laughs> Quasca, yeah. come get me. <laughs> I don't got anything to we do till 1030 more. on Monday. Just let's go on a trip, baby. <laughs> we need to know more, Quasca. <laughs> where are you, my man? After Quasca made this long narrative, he got very deep, right? He got very poetic. Um, after this... He would go on to tell Betty that he had taken many others on this exact same trip. That others had had the exact same experience. And like her, this message, this knowledge, would be revealed when the time is right. And with his hands on her shoulders, he says, Go, child. Go now and rest. With two other beings... Quasga proceeded to lead Betty back through the ship and into the first room she entered at the start of this quest. Once there, a door opened, and he walked through and left. Betty and the two others began to walk down out of the ship, and to her surprise, she was standing in her yard just outside of her house, still misty, still foggy, everything, but she knew where she was. The beings each held a glowing white ball in their hands. One of them was slightly smaller than the other. They floated into the kitchen and near the pantry. This is when Betty first saw her father, Wayno, who had been standing frozen in time at the window during this whole experience. Are you all right? Daddy! Daddy! He's not answering me. They're going into the other room. Into the other room there. I'm just standing there. I don't hear any noise at all. Just standing there in the kitchen. I turn and ask the other one, what are they going to do in there? He won't answer me. He has that other smaller ball in his hand. Just holding it out in the palm of his hand. Just standing there still. At this point, after one of the beings went into the living room, Betty followed. That's when she saw the rest of her family, all still stuck in suspended states of animation. Her daughter, Becky, still standing near the television with a smile stuck on her face. I'm sorry, but I can't not laugh because there was like a hundred pages between when the family was frozen and like all of the shit. And then now they're back there and just the family still stuck in the same spot. They're like, this is the shittiest trip ever. It sounds terrible. <laughs> like, I would feel so guilty if I just went on this crazy quest. And then I came back and I'm like, hey, everybody, guess where I've been? I'm like coming in with a Hawaiian shirt on, like sunburnt and shit and like flip flops. And, and everybody's just like still on the same spot. I'm like, ugh, yeah, this is like a more dramatic it's like a more dramatic rendition of when you come back to the town that you grew up in. Like this is bad. This is bad. <laughs> like, uh, they're all sitting there just watching the same shitty daytime TV, and they're just <gasps> like, "Man, change the channel!" Oh god. 
I can only watch Walker, Texas Ranger for so long. <laughs> so, so with Becky still standing in the TV, and they're still sitting there, motionless. Becky's sitting there, and she's smiling and grinning. She seems to uh, to be awake. She seems as if she's up, standing up. She uh, just smiling at me. Oh. Just standing there. Her expression isn't changing now. She seems to be frozen in that smile, just standing up there in in the living room. All of a sudden, a voice pops into Betty's head. Betty, you will have to forget this. You and your family for the time being. I just keep on seeing Becky standing there, smiling. There are many other things that we have told you. They will come out at an appropriate time. The book is over there. At this point, Betty starts asking what book. What book is over there? Uh, Doing the regular Betty thing. Um, Eventually, she comes to realize that this is the blue book that Quasgon gave to her earlier in exchange for the Bibles, which, like loaves of bread, he multiplied and handed out to his 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 crew of disciples, right? Um, <laughs> Betty begins following one of the beings around the living room, and he, as he's just like walking around with this little uh, this little glass ball, this little glowing white ball in his hand, and she just starts like pestering like him just non-stop what book where's the book can i see the book what is the book and she's she's driving him like absolutely insane he's not responding to her and then at some point it shifts to like i don't even know your name what's your name how are you doing she betty is going to betty is gonna betty that's all i can say <laughs> at this point in the story um so yeah betty never one for waiting begins pestering the aliens may i see the book i'm still waiting well where's the book at you just told me about a book i just heard somebody tell me about a book he didn't answer eventually he did respond telling her read this and take as much information as you can from it what's in it (laughs) it's filled with formulas riddles writing and poems so Betty has something to read while the aliens worked around the house, basically. <laughs> the... He's just like, just here, here, take this TV gag. Get out of here. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all, there, I'm I'm sorry for like kind of breaking down there out of script, but there there's like pages of just like Betty like pestering them and them ignoring her, and then her talking about her feelings for being ignored. And while I, I, I try to like write it down at some point and just rewriting the same phrasing and same sentence over and over again, I'm like, can I just summarize this into like Betty's being Betty? I don't know what to do here. <laughs> like, yeah, they just straight up were like, hey, we're working. And then they're like, the book's over there. Just go read that. Yeah, like TV God. TV God's on the table. Just go pick out a movie for later. Mama and I are watching something, right? So, <laughs> so anyways. Soon after telling her this, um, the same entity proceeded to lead Betty up the stairs and takes her into a room. Now, uh, kind of in the same way that when you're dreaming, uh, say that you're dreaming that you're in your house, 
uh, you're having a dream, you're kind of like you're realizing where you're at, and it's kind of like you have an overwhelming sensation that you're you're in your house, but visually, once you start moving around, you realize like I'm not visually in my house, but I know I'm in my house. Everything's different, right? Rooms are in different places, shit's changed, shit's moved around, but you know exactly where you're at, you're confident in that. So Betty kind of goes through one of these experiences as she goes up the stairs, and the entity, or the being, like, takes her into a room. It's, It's a strange purple room that doesn't exist in her house and is not her bedroom. All of a sudden, after Betty and the being go into the room, she starts to feel control again. <clears throat> you must forget until the time appointed. And he's raising that ball, and he's turning it over on the back of his hand again. And and I'm getting undressed and pulling the covers down, and I'm crawling into bed just like I'm a child, like a little child. I jump in and crawling in and uh, just like I remember seeing the little ones do. And I'm covering up and looking at him and he still has that big ball of light and he's bending over me and he's waving his hands over my face. I'm in bed and I, I hear whirring and whirring and I'm starting up something like a big motor or roaring like it's a whirring roaring noise I don't I don't know and it's coming over from the from the right hand side but Becky's little bedroom and I'm I'm not roaring anymore it's just like a I don't I don't know there's a feel very relaxed and rested and I'm asleep. Betty fell into a deep sleep. When she awoke, she felt absolutely incredible. For a long time after that, had no memory of what had taken place. She found herself obsessed, though, with reading and trying to understand this little blue book that she found in her house the next day. She could barely put it down, looking through it again and again and again until suddenly, about nine days after she found it, she went to check the closet where she almost uh, compulsively hid it when she wasn't able to read it. It was gone. Over the next few years, brief but overwhelming moments, memories of the events would begin trickling back into her mind. At first... It was the light. She, could, she couldn't shake the memory of an intense, pulsating light out of, outside of her kitchen. Then the beings coming in through the door and standing in their kitchen. It wasn't too long after this that she reached out to J. Allen Hynek, who eventually connected her to the researchers and the hypnotic regression therapy sessions began. It's funny. I, I just imagined... Like when the aliens came in and they dropped the book and then I just imagine JL and Hynek just kicking the door down and be like, there can only be one blue book in this world. (laughs) And then the Highlander theme started. Oh my God. Yes. 
and J. Allen Hynek. He just starts like, I don't know, jousting them with his little pipe. Um, <clears throat> yep. God damn it. But yeah, so what do y'all think? What did you just experience? How was how was listening to that? I know we kind of like went all around everything and mixed things up, but um, where did the blue book go? Straight up disappeared. It just disappeared. Like, do you think her husband like took it from her just because? <laughs> Is this a letter I from mean, that Quas guy? <laughs> and you know he said you know that he was talking and he said quaz guy yeah. you know like you know that's the, the guy was just like was that quaz guy coming around again i saw him here a couple nights ago i mean because you know why are the children going sorry like she was sorry so, <laughs> she was so obsessed about it and just like kept reading and just you know kind of mm. went into a different world and i can see like the husband being really upset and annoyed about that because that's all she was doing with the book and then like he just threw it away <laughs> i maybe i mean um i'm i'm pretty sure during the process i'm fairly certain during the period of time that she had the book after all this her husband was probably still in the hospital. If y'all remember at the very beginning, like he was like, literally he got in a super terrible car accident. Right. And was in the hospital. They had finished up dinner. She was kind of handling a few things before she kind of went on her nightly ritual to go drive to the hospital and like hang out with him for a little while. Mm. I know? think I know. What um, happened and then that's with the that's car crash. You think it was Quasga driving, was just driving like, the car that caused like, him? We got to get him out of the way, so we can talk to my new girl Betty. Oh my my new girl Betty. Oh. She can have seven. Um, <laughs> but, <Wow>. um, <laughs> um <laughs> I don't know. I can't. I can't not think of Quasga as slightly nefarious during all of this. Right, like there's there's something about him just like appearing at certain moments and just being like, "Hey, babe, don't worry about it. Hey, babe, everything's cool. You know what I'm saying? Like, hey, I'll be fine. Are you here? You're good. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm gonna go. I'll see you later. I can just see. I can just see the other two aliens. Once once Quasga makes his grand entrance, they both like look at each other and just like roll their eyes at him. Like he's doing it again. Why? Like, dude, God no, you don't need to do this. And he's like, why do we have to wear black cloaks everywhere? He's like, it's for the it's for the mission, man. It is for the mission. <laughs> just the whole time they're just like telepathically communicating with each other while Betty's like her jaws dropped and she's amazed. She's just like, why does he never just use the regular door? We have regular doors. Why, do we have to, why does he always do why this? Why do we float everywhere? Like th those are the they are the people that built the stairs and the the escalator. They're like we don't have to float everywhere. It's like sometimes we can get some exercise. And he's like, Nah, it just looks cooler. <laughs> nah, but this is like this is cool. This is on brand, yeah, yeah. right? This is on brand. Yeah. <laughs> you part of the Quaz crew, all right? Like this is what we like, do. Everybody, all everybody right? hates Quazga, and they're just like he's the leader. They're just like, oh God! He's, Why did we vote him in again as leader? Show up. He's the district manager. Yeah, he's the district manager. <laughs> he came in with his everybody's car. like hella obedient, yeah. but like very uncomfortable around him. He's like, that's when they they asked him to come in on. They were coming in on Sunday too, so it was just like, yep, yep. 
I think it's great, like, the whole process, um, you know, like... Of them asking her questions and, like, hypnotizing her for it? Yeah, like, I think that's very helpful because I feel like our brain, you know, whenever we go through something shocking or just, like, out of the ordinary, our brain doesn't really register it, like, the way it registers the whole thing and it's funny because this isn't actually in the movie um ah what's the name of the movie uh with the with the little guys in your head oh inside uh, out out. so there's this movie inside out and it just shows kind of how it would look like if you go inside our our brain with our memories and stuff Mm -hmm. and like there's kind of like this other like backup place where our memories when we're not using them a lot they just kind of like go away but they're still there Mm -hmm. so i feel like when we go into like a shocking event or just something crazy we do that because we don't know how to like our body doesn't kind of like connect to our brain in a way for us to explain things you know Mm -hmm. so something like that that's like insane you know how do you even like begin to to like talk about it kind of like when you have a crazy dream and then the next day they ask you oh what was your dream and you're just like you know it's in there but you don't know how to like bring it back yeah so i feel like what those people did helps bring it back in a way that it can actually be like you talking about it you know Mm -hmm. so i don't know if that made sense at all (laughs) no that yeah that that is not what you were asking it described the process you know just was was good about the process of getting the getting the stuff out of her head and onto paper or onto something that need to be told in her her view um I, i i think it's crazy because you have to look at it like but she's she died so wonder what if if this was like wait what do you mean she died she's dead she died march of this year oh i thought you meant like i was trying to no i was trying to think during the story even though i was the one that literally told you she died this year and i was like when did she die she died in (laughs) march of this year so just think about like if they gave her this crazy not quest but in a way they gave her this kind of like you know, she had an exclamation, yellow exclamation point go above her head, and she had like a crazy quest. You know, a question mark now. Yeah. That Quasga has a question mark, um, uh, for her to for her to to figure out of, like, did she ever really figure it out? Because who? I mean, we'll never know. I guess what we could, what her actual quest was, or like what she was supposed to do. What is she That's doing? That's what I was what, asking. She like... did. Yeah. Like there. What's the where's the follow up? You know, after after doing all that research and questioning her for like all this months and stuff, and then there's like no follow up. <laughs> oh, so uh, when I when I cover books like pretty closely, I try to leave sections of the book intentionally like uh blacked out for the audience just in case somebody does want to read it that it's not like you're like wow this is literally what they just told me you know what i'm saying um because it's good also just a heads up um anytime i can i do include a link to a website in our show notes that um will show you really easily really quickly if the books that we're talking about 
are available at one of your local libraries. So you don't even have to go buy them, but you could just go click it and it'll be like, hey, is that this library down the street? You could just go rent it. So that's a thing because libraries are cool. Um, I do that. I always, I always forget to tell people, but I do do that. <laughs> um, so you can buy it or you can rent it. Um, you should probably rent it because I think you can only buy it on Amazon and, you know, fuck Bezos. Um, uh, what was the question? So the book gets trippier. <laughs> this this book is just you know when you have that you know when you're like almost asleep but you're still kind of awake and you like you trip and you like jolt in bed that's kind of how this book is over and over and over again as you go in like inception into this book um it does go on to uh betty actively during uh the uh hypnotic regression like sessions um transmitting and receiving messages. Um, I literally have no idea how to read some of these messages. <laughs> um, but it, uh, yeah, she be, kind of becomes like a beacon, if that makes sense. Like the, the hypnotherapist starts asking her questions. They start asking things like, what did they tell you about the future? What did they say about this? Da, 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 da. What are the winning lottery numbers? I made that up. But they, they start like asking her questions and she just starts speaking in almost in tongues, but like not in tongues, not in like the, you know, Kentucky, Tennessee kind of in tongues. You know what I'm saying? But like, <laughs> yeah, uh, and you know, no offense to Kentucky and Tennessee family from there grew up in that stuff. But, uh, but yeah, you know what I mean? If you know what I mean? Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it gets, it gets kind of wild and, you know, she's convinced as she like went on in life that, uh, she would receive messages that there would, that there was like more, the story kept going right um after this it was just kind of this this event the event the Andreessen affair itself um kind of just like stands out in the sense of like what happens when somebody you know like uh you know Mulder's sister or whatever is like pulled out of the bedroom and it's floating up and like goes into a craft right um well what happens after that what do they experience, mm -hmm. right? We There's the brief moments of trauma, but honestly, you know, we're human beings. Um, we're really good at remembering trauma. Humans are perfectly well adapted <laughs> to remembering trauma to the point that we pass it down to our children, right? Um, <laughs> through whatever weird means. But we are terrible at remembering uh, good times. We're terrible at remembering when things are normal, when things are okay, when things are just kind of like, you know, uh, 7.5 out of 10. We suck at remembering those things. We will ruin relationships with people that we're close to, that we love, that we've hung out with for so long because they pissed us off one night. We will forget years of memories for one event, you know? And, mm -hmm. and so it tracks. Like, in my mind, that kind of tracks to that if you're going to manipulate our memories so that we wouldn't remember an event, the only thing that would be able to break through 99.9% .9 of the time would be the most traumatic moments. It would be the moment where Betty has the needle go in her nose and she, you know, hears the membrane, like something pop and she, you know, has the needle go in her stomach. Um, but, and, and we hear that, like it's super typical 
of of abduction experiences is that 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 exact scene is so boilerplate right but then everything else she remembers like what stands out honestly is that she remembers being bored like that is such a that is such a um who the fuck remembers being bored? <laughs> you know, like, like it's, I mean, you can remember being bored at an event when somebody asks you about the event. Sure. But like in terms of like a grand narrative of events, even on like a super fun night that you have planned with friends and you're doing this, you, I don't know, you got a fucking limo and you're in Vegas for somebody's like bachelor, bachelorette party, whatever, you know, you still remember that time that you're like sitting, waiting for them to finally get the limo and you were stuck at some hotel across town or something for like an hour and a half, you know, like, the, those moments make reality in my opinion it's it's the in-between moments that like build up reality um not just that moment of trauma and when these folks are taken and we know that they have uh or generally accepted people have uh, missing time quote unquote right they're experiencing time on a completely different plane where uh, a minute for us feels like an hour and a half for them Right. And they're gone for 15 minutes. It's a lot of hours, you know. And so, like, what did they experience? And then they only come back with two seconds of memory. Like, that's why Betty Andreessen stands out is because she has this incredible journey that's super complex, super metaphorical, all these things going on and conversations. And and she and she has all of it, you know, I don't know. That's my that's my shimmery. That's my <laughs> that's my dip into why people should read that book. <laughs> nah, yeah, I wanna read it for sure. It's good. It's good. Yeah. I mean, besides the Harlequin romance parts of it, it does sound amazing. <laughs> Those are the best parts. Those are the best <laughs> yeah. parts. Yeah, not the boring part when she's waiting in line. Oh yeah. So how long was she gone for? <laughs> I think, I mean, she basically, she came back the next day. Everything was going along in the family like normal. That was it. Mm-hmm. Like, just straight uh, up, it was just wow. like, uh, it was a Tuesday. <laughs> you know, like, it was like that kind of a thing where it's just like, you just woke up. And it was a Tuesday. And nobody noticed anything that was off. She didn't, um, the book does go on to, like, uh, there's a bunch of, like, they try to convince, like, Wayno, uh, her dad, Wayno Aho, uh, to, like, uh, be interviewed about it. And he gets really pissed because he, uh, you know, uh, I think he's from Finland, if I remember correctly. Anyways, he misunderstands the request about uh, uh, hypno or hypnotic regression and thinks that they're asking if uh, if they can bring aliens to the farm. And he's like, I don't want anything to do with those little people. No. <laughs> he's like, he's like pissed about the idea of like aliens coming back. Thank you for listening to the Black Cat Report in our second part of the Andreessen Affair. Betty sure did get crazy with Quasga. You can get crazy with us on our Instagram. Please send us any stories or show ideas you may have to contact at blackcat.report. We would love to hear from you. Also, remember to like, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Now keep that radio dialed for next Sunday as we dive into more paranormal and extraterrestrial subjects. See you on the other side.